Welcome into the Otsen Audibles podcast. I'm at Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. As always, happy Monday. It's July 12th. We're recording this podcast. Uh, it's been a couple weeks. Actually, it's been like a month or so since Eric and I have been on the show at the same time. So that in of itself is big news. Uh, Eric took some vacation time and then I took some vacation time immediately after that. So Hey, we are back on the show together for the first time in a long time. Good to hear your voice, sir. I think it, dude, I think it's June 16th. I was just looking. It was the last time we recorded a show together. That a seems, long time. <laughs> that's probably the largest time between shows in the history of our podcast that we've recorded together, I'd, I'd guess. So I, yeah. would, <laughs> I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. And since that time, there has been a, a plethora of news that we have wanted to talk about together break it all down and we're going to focus from a football perspective from a into a recruiting perspective on today's show because basically everything went wild uh right when i tried to leave vacation right when eric was coming back from vacation we had verbal commitments coming in left and right oregon's recruiting class is now ranked i think i left eric and they were like 20th in the country Yep, 21st. And I come back to a class that's now seventh in the country, number one in the Pac-12, which would be four straight years if they can hold serve now and keep this class number one in the Pac-12. They've landed a five-star verbal commitment. They've gone into Texas for multiple guys. They've gone into Alabama. Uh, They've gone into Arkansas. And I think that is where I want to start first, Eric, is – We saw when Mario Cristobal first took over as head coach at Oregon, the 2018 recruiting class and then the 2019 recruiting class were heavily dominated by California and SoCal, the Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego area. And it's kind of started, there's still heavy players in Cal and, and SoCal like and I expect them to continue to add players in this class from that region. But the spread of the Oregon program since that 2018 recruiting class is certainly something to watch. I mean, they have the state with the most commitments right now is a state that's not even in their region. It's Texas with five guys currently committed. It's this class is from a, from a, a regional, a, a locale perspective is as crazy as it's ever been. I, I don't think I can remember a class at Oregon previously where it's been this spread out or it's been concentrated in an area where there's no true like bonafide pipeline into this region to make it make sense. Other than Oregon is a really good re- staff that's re- really good at recruiting and they're now being able to hammer home a brand that for the last 20 years has been consistently good. Here, here's some of the geography is 10 out of the 15 commitments right now come outside of the West Coast. And like that part right there is really significant, especially because it's not like afterthought recruits. It's like four and five star kids like um, TJ Dudley is the highest rated Oregon commitment from the state of Alabama. He's a top 200 recruit. Um, Isaiah Satania, who committed yesterday um, or Sunday for those listening, I don't know when you're listening to this, but 
from Arkansas, he's the highest rated recruit Oregon has ever landed. Um, Kelvin Banks is not the number one rated recruit from the state of Texas because Oregon landed Lake Seastrunk and some other guys back in the early 2010s. But still, one of the preeminent recruits in the state of Texas, the, the fifth rated player in the state, ends up at Oregon. So like that just tells you, I think, that the shift for me has been when Willie Taggart got here and even the first couple of years with Mario Cristobal, they might get a couple guys from outside of the region, but they'd typically be like three-star kids. Like even think about, I don't want to diminish these players because they've ended up being really good, but think about when they landed um, Jamal Hill and DJ James right around signing day in 2019. They were Those, viewed as like, hey, really good players down the road. Yeah, and they, but they were like three-star recruits with, some, with, with quality offer lists, but these weren't like the top kids from their state. Now your organs going in and getting like the kids, the, the, the blue bloods down there want. And to me, the, the big obstacle here or the thing I'm going to be really curious to see from, from today until December, about five months from now is how can they land? Can they hold on to all these kids? Because there's going to be a heck of a push come fall, come December, um, especially the kids in Alabama and in Texas shooting all those States to try to keep these kids from coming out West. So, um, you know, I think it's a little different recruiting nationally because the, the, the ops, there are more obstacles because it's kind of like the first domino to fall is, okay, you get them for a visit. The second is you get a commitment. And then the third is hopefully you can hold that commitment. I'm not suggesting these guys are all going to dip, but it, it is worth noting. I think probably a little bit more high stakes here, gambling from Oregon staff to go after these guys. Cause it is like Kelvin Banks, like Texas A&M is going to stay on him. LSU is going to stay on him. Um, the Auburns and the other schools in the, in the Southeast are going to stay after TJ Dudley. Um, and, and even Isaiah, Satania, who committed yesterday, like USC is probably not going to back off that kid. Um, so like, there's going to be a lot of guys pushing for some of these recruits, but that is the gamble you, you know, you run when you, you go after the four and five star kids from schools that are, you know, States, I should say that are hundreds and thousands of miles away from you. So real, real quick math here, five in Texas, two in Alabama makes it seven, one in Mississippi makes it eight. One in Arkansas makes it nine. One in Oklahoma makes it 10. 10 of their 15 verbal commitments come from players or come from states that are, are not in the Pac-12 footprint, like Eric just said. Um, and, and, it's, and there's not even like one state over either. Yeah, like right. that's, the, that's the impressive thing is uh, this staff has been able to go out. And I do agree with you with – how what's it going to be like with a Kelvin Banks and a TJ Dudley and a Nicholas Anderson and an Isaiah Tegna, um guys that have that are high profile recruits? They have already used their official visit to Oregon, and so I I feel very con- I don't know this for certain, but knowing how Oregon has operated in the past. They probably they don't they don't take those verbal commit they don't take those verbal commitments and those official visits unless they know these guys are going to come back in the in the in the fall for an or end of December visit for an unofficial visit to check out the Ducks during a game or that last kind of hurrah push for Oregon in, in the recruiting class because they're not Oregon's not going to risk bringing in a Kelvin Banks for an official visit in June like he did and then taking his verbal commit on July 4th and then knowing in the fall hey he's going to go down to Texas he's going to go down to Texas A&M he's going to check out Oklahoma 
all these visits for unofficials and never once will he get back to Eugene. Like that just doesn't feel like that. That's, that's that leads to decommitments. If, if Oregon staff doesn't feel confident in getting these guys back up for unofficials and having the, these, these players pay for their trips, it's going to lead to decommitment. So I, I look at this and think these guys are coming back. They're going to come back. Oregon feels confident with these guys coming back for an official visit. I mean, for an unofficial visit later on to help kind of counteract the attention they're going to get from the local states. Cause you know, it's coming like at some point in the fall, do you really want to go 2000 miles away to Oregon and not be with your friends or not, you know, not be a drive away from home and, and whatnot. And, you know, the, the local pressure to stay home will amplify. And so that's going to be for me. And I think you, how many of these guys stick? I, I, we feel pretty good about them, but Hey, there are always decommitments and in every year. And you just have to hope that you can kind of mitigate that as best you can and limit it to as small of a number as possible. I want to correct one point I made a second ago. Kevin Banks actually is the highest rated recruit from the state of Texas. I missed that one. I thought Lake Seastrunk had it edged him, but that is not correct. So Banks is the top player from the state of Texas. So that's the top player in program history in terms of equipments from Texas, Alabama, and Arkansas. That's just nutty stuff right there um positionally matt let's talk about that for a second a lot of these commitments come from the offensive line since you've left yeah. <laughs> since you were gone uh, three of them coming in a couple of days over the weekend uh cameron williams and michael wooten starting it off on thursday and then like we said banks on sunday that position group probably not su- super surprising considering mario cristobal and, and his background with the position but like i guess do we feel like they're close to done? Because you throw in Percy Lewis there and you've got four commitments. Oregon obviously still in on some other names, but how many more do you think you take on the offensive line? And that probably opens up to a, a discussion here we should have in a second of like Oregon has 15 commitments, probably going to take six, to seven to eight more and, and kind of how we think that those can be allotted going forward. Yeah, so I look at Oregon's offensive line class right now and – they probably for sure have room for one more. Mm-hmm. And then if, if like a Josh Connerly Jr., who's a five-star offensive tackle from Rainier Beach up in Seattle, if he called today and was like, hey, or if he calls in, in November and they've added another piece. Right. And, and he calls and says, I want to come too. Oregon will, will, will cut a spot at another position. Um, that they're recruiting and just, you know, call their prospects that haven't committed yet and say, Hey, look, we've, we filled, we filled our spot. Like we, we can't, we can't take you anymore. Um, obviously it's, it's not a verbal commitment, so it's not that big of a deal, but they'd make room for a Josh Connerly. Um, they would make room, you know, when you look at interior offensive linemen, um, you know, there's, a couple guys out there, Ernest Green, I think, is one. Dave Louie is another one um, where they would take these verbal commitments. But there's there's not a lot of spots left for the offensive line. When you, when you look at this recruiting class, you've got a couple offensive tackles. You've got a couple guys uh, that could play multiple positions, um, interior or on the or along the offensive line at offensive tackles. So, um the one I really look at is Percy Lewis. Like mm-hmm. I'm not hearing anything in terms of him being a decommitment, you know, a guy down the road and whatnot, but 
this just feels kind of very similar to what Oregon dealt with in the 2021 recruiting class with Jadarius Perkins. Sure. Um, where high profile Juco guy, deep South gives a verbal commitment to the ducks and, you know, in the summertime. And then as the season gets on and signing day gets closer and closer, he ends up, you know, flipping to a school closer to home and a school where he knows with 100% certainty he's going to play right away and be a factor in the starting lineup. I don't think you can, you know, I don't think you can say that, you know, Percy Lewis is going to arrive at Oregon in 2022 and instantly start. And so I just, I just have a little bit of worry here. Like, it's it's not any reporting. It's just, you know, you're connecting dots a little bit and, and whatnot. Curious to see what happens. Um, he did take an official visit to Oregon in June, so that helps. But he also did see one in Georgia. Mississippi State just offered him. He is willing to go and look at some of these other schools. And so I, I just get worried that that would be a guy where he might open things up and, and, and go somewhere else, which would then open up a spot for another offensive lineman or – another scholarship somewhere else down the road. I've had the same thought with Lewis. It's, um, it's kind of interesting. I think thinking about the offensive line group, I think we talked about this with Jared last week of like, there are a lot of really good young players here. And I don't know if Lewis from like a time age perspective aligns with that. And and I don't know what that does to the, to the group. If he comes in and probably doesn't start in 2022, maybe uses a red shirt year. It's like, by the time he gets to 23 and 24, I, I think the Kingsley Sumatias and the Calvin Banks and the Bram Waldens, et cetera, may have developed to a place where you would actually prefer to play those guys. And I, again, we're like talking right. two, three years down the line here, but I'm guessing these are some of the internal conversations that have been had and that are continuing to happen with like Cristobal and Mirabal of, and others that are involved in the offensive line recruiting room of like, okay, Lewis is really talented. I do think he can play tackle and maybe guard because he's just a huge person, but like, Long term, would you maybe not be better off sort of going all in on the the bank Sumatia? You have two offensive tackles that are potential first round draft picks that are playing opposite of each other rather than a guy like Lewis. I don't know. That's just a again, that's hypothetical. Like like Matt said, we're not reporting anything. I think just Lewis is sort of one of the weirder recruits in this class for a variety of reasons, like Matt said. Um, and it's sort of interesting trying to figure out kind of how he fits into the puzzle with all this. And frankly, like with the number, the number of guys that are currently on the roster that we think are good and the recruits in 2021 who were high on and 2022 who were high on, it's like you're going down the line here going like there's just going to be a lot of really talented guys by the time you get to 2022, 23, 24. And you just kind of wonder what that does for a guy like Lewis who's a little bit older and, and coming from a different part of the country. It could be tough for him to come out here and, and maybe – you know, not everyone's going to be George Moore where you don't get your yeah. job right away and you're willing to wait. Some people, you know, to take off. So I don't know. That's just kind of my, my thoughts. I, I agree with you, Matt, in terms of like the Lewis commitment is kind of the weirder one from really the whole class right now. It doesn't really align with, with some of the other stuff they're doing, it seems like. When, when you look at the full recruiting classes that Mario Cristobal has been in charge of, um, 2019, 2020, and 2021, those are the where he's had a full year, o- over a full year to recruit these classes. There have been 16 decommitments over those three classes. So Oregon's already, you know, it it averages out to be about five and a third uh, uh, of decommitments a year from an average perspective. Oregon's already had one from a 2022 class member, Jaden Ott. Uh, He committed, I think, two or three years ago, decommitted about a year and a half ago. 
and is now actually committed to Cal um, this couple weeks ago or a couple days ago. Um, so if you look at the averages, history says there's going to be about three, two, three or four more decommitments in this recruiting class for what has happened the previous three years at Oregon. Doesn't mean it's going to have to happen, but I just think you realistically look at it and say like, look, 22 class has 15 commitments and there's probably going to be one or two guys in this class right now who, who's committed and might open things up um, and, and go to another school, um, which could also be a good thing, you know, in terms of, Hey, we're going to have a scholarship crunch. We're going to have to choose somebody to not have a scholarship and be out of this class. Maybe a kid comes out of his own and says, I just don't want to, I don't want to go to Oregon anymore, which kind of gets you out of that tough spot of making a decision of what player to drop. If it fact and gets there. And I don't think, they're in danger yet of overloading this recruiting class. Even with, I agree. Even with just six scholarship seniors on the roster, even with the five available open scholarships, they're going to carry going into the 2021 football season. That's 11, even though they have four guys over that list, you know, there are more than a dozen or so players on this team where you look at it and say, more than likely he's not going to be on this team next year, whether it's because he's going pro like a KT or a Mikhail, right. Or, or it's an underclassman or an upperclassman just simply hasn't played. And well, inevitably just decided, you know what? I want to play. It's obviously not going to be at Oregon. I love Oregon, but I want to play. I'm going to leave. So between transfers and guys going pro, I, I think they're going to, they are, they are still well under that number that they need to get to, 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 to fill their spots. And we've also got juniors like, yeah, would it be yeah, that yeah. big of a surprise to you if Travis died? This was his last year because what more does he need to prove? I mean, especially Verdell, but even for die. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of guys on the team where you look at it that way um, in terms of like, yeah. And are you going to play a, and there's a bunch of guys I think that are stuck in that spot and we don't need to name names. Those who are, you know, very familiar with the roster can look at the roster and probably come up with Matt said, you know, about a dozen names can probably look at the roster and pretty clearly come up with their own list uh, of guys that would be susceptible or make sense to, to maybe look somewhere else or go pro, et cetera. Um, you're right. So I, I, I think the numbers crunch part is probably slightly overplayed just because it is a very small senior class. Um, and because of the bizarre nature of the COVID thing where that just completely comp complicates everything for a variety of reasons. I want to let's talk focus on like what we want we think they need to do from here in terms of position by position. Um, I'm going to read through the number of commitments they have for each position group. For some like that maybe you have to take notes to keep track of all this because we are going to run through a bunch of different stuff. But like currently one one quarterback commitment, three commitments at wide receiver, one at tight end, four on the offensive line, three on the defensive line, a linebacker, and two safeties. Um, the two obvious absences there or, or omissions are at running back and cornerback. No commitments from either spot so far. Matt, do you think it's safe to say they're going to take at least one at each of those two spots? Or yes. could you see? Okay. Okay. I think we're in agreement there because I'd seen a little bit of scuttle of people suggesting on duckterritory.com for those listening that aren't members. You want to be a part of some of these conversations on the message board. Join right now. Um, I know we're running some deals coming up, but right now you can, you can always do your first month for like a buck. Um, 
But some people have been kind of suggesting like maybe Oregon doesn't take a running back this cycle. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me unless you just think you can't land anyone who's like particularly highly rated. And I do think it's a little bit interesting that Jaden Ott, who Matt message a sec- mentioned, I should say, a second ago, um, that he's committed to Cal is like one of the top running back recruits on the West Coast. And yet Oregon doesn't have a commitment yet. Or really, I like Matt, who's like the top target on your, do you have like a name in mind for like who you think Oregon maybe is either going to land or is in best position to land right now? Because to me, it's sort of a more open-ended than I had probably expected considering it's July. Say that again. And I, I'll be honest. Oh, just, I was trying to research something else for for a, for this topic, and I didn't. Oh, I, do you have a name? Anything you said to me. <laughs> <laughs> First thing, back jitters. Do you have a name? Do you have a name for a running back you th- you like Oregon? Like, oh who, yeah. Who, who do you like the most there for yeah, Oregon? Yeah, I mean, well, I, Ralic Brown from Matter Day High School in SoCal um, is a guy that Oregon is is. He's committed to Oklahoma right now, and that's a guy that's talking about visiting Oregon officially during the season. Um, and then Javante Barnes is a running back from Nevada, um, Desert Pines. I, th- I believe Desert Pines is where Tyrell Crosby went to school. Um, four-star guy, and – I, I think there's a chance that this guy could could maybe come up for an official visit as well. We'll we'll see if you know Oregon's still you know laying in the weeds here, but um, their options are are kind of dwindling though. Like that that's yeah. where like the only way I look at this and say they're not going to take a running back is if their options dwindle to a point where it you know. The, the, the level of talent is not worth or not equal to, you know, them going out and bringing somebody else at another position. Like, is it really worth taking a middle tier three-star recruit at running back and no offense to those guys, or is it better to the program to go out and say, Hey, we have an opportunity to, to sign Josh Connerly, a five-star offensive tackle, even though we have, another five-star offensive tackle. Like we can go and find a high profile running back in the 2023 class. We can't turn down this five-star recruit or this top 100 four-star guy. That's I think the only way where I see at running back, they don't sign a guy is if the, the quality options dry up and it's, it's okay. We're now just taking a guy simply to have a, have a running back in this class. Then, then it doesn't make sense to do that. At that point, I would think they maybe look at the transfer portal, maybe yeah. into the 2022 transfer portal and go like, hey, who's the top guy out there? Because you, you look at the names in 2021 and there were some pretty darn good players out there. So I, I would imagine that might be an angle to, to take a look at if you don't find a prep guy or or maybe even maybe it's a Juco. Maybe maybe the prep guys dry up and there's always a couple guys. And, and one thing at running back that's interesting is you look at you don't have to look very far. Like if you're kind of panicking, going like, who's Oregon going to get? Byron Cardwell was not really on anyone's radar until right. like November, December of last year. And then Oregon jumped in, offered, and then ended up getting his, his signature and he's going to be on the team next year. So like, it's not impossible that somebody who we're not focused in on right now, who's a, and Cardwell's like a top 150 elite recruit. It's not impossible that there's a guy similar to that that just pops up here over the next several months that, and that makes a lot of sense. You and I are in agreement that they need to sign a running back because I, we, Hey, look, we don't we we don't do a lot of uh, 
pre-show discussion about what we're going to say here. Um, but is I think that a good thing or bad? still pretty aligned with our thinking is we both think Travis Dye and CJ Verdell are probably going to be gone after this season for sure. For, for, for sure. CJ Verdell. Yeah. Um, I agree on that one for sure. So let's just assume Travis Dye goes as well. Um, both those guys now gone after the 2021 season. Sean Dollars is, we know he's going to play in 2021, but that could be like late November because he suffered a really bad knee injury during spring football. And all that we know from crystal ball is it was a significant injury. He's out for a long period of time. We think he does get back at some point, but we don't really know, you know, how, when you get a, a, a significant lower body injury, it almost takes 18 months for that athlete to truly get back to where he was before. It doesn't mean he's not on the field you know, before then because he is, but to get to that level where he's playing at his highest point before his injury, it takes a long time. Trey Benson is coming off a broken leg during the 2020 season. So I look at those super freshmen, Sean Dollars and Trey Benson. Both guys are either going through rehab or are coming off rehab for significant injuries. And that leaves you just with Seven McGee and Byron Cardwell at running back, where as of today, before the 2021 season, they're fully healthy. So I think you have to have another running back into the fold because what happens if die follows CJ Verdell and what happens if dollars and Benson aren't back yet a hundred percent from their injuries going into the 2022 off season, you have to have a third running back that, you know, will be a hundred percent healthy going into spring football in 2022. If die doesn't come back, it really might be worth going the transfer portal route and just trying to find the top guy. The more you think about it, because if you do lose Verdell and die, those are your top two running backs. And we don't know what the future is going to hold, but we also know in the past, none of the other guys in the roster really played. So if like you said, dollars and, and Benson miss significant parts of the season, you could enter 2022 with really no <laughs> concrete evidence of like who your starting running back is going to be. And that's where maybe it would be going and getting a veteran guy. I, who knows who's going to be in there, but if uh, somebody who has, Maybe it's not even a guy who's been a full-time starter, but the guy has 2,200 yards of total rushing over the course of three years as a, you know, and maybe a Travis Dye kind of role. Even adding someone like that would be of value to just kind of solidify the position group. And I do want to say, I, I think there's a lot of talent among the guys on the team, like the four, the young guys, the four true freshmen that are on the team. Um, but I also just haven't seen any of them play. So I'm, I'm, it's kind of like you're kind of, <laughs> We're right. kind of in a weird spot in terms of trying to evaluate what that's going to look like down the future, you know, but I, I think, yeah, I think there needs to be some sort of addition because if you lose two guys to the group and you end up with four guys, you haven't really played at all. That's not exactly ideal situation at a really important position group. And one last note on running back before we move on. Um, it's, it's, it, it's, is it, does it surprise you at Matt at all? Like, and again, I don't, I don't think the recruiting rankings mean everything and Oregon has had good players on the team, but I did an exercise last week where I was running through all the different position groups and like the, the best recruits they've signed under Cristobal and, and running back was the one along with defensive tackle that was kind of lagging behind. Did that sort of surprise you because Oregon had so much success pre Cristobal with running back recruits, whether it be Thomas Tyner or like Seastrong 
or DeAnthony Thomas or Royce Freeman or Taj Griffin or all these guys that are like borderline five-star recruits. Oregon, Oregon since Cristobal has been here, just hasn't had one of those guys yet. Yeah, I, I think. I, They're due, I, right? I don't know if concern is the right word here, but it's been too long since Oregon has signed one of, you know, the best running backs in in the country. Like I understand that last year, um, you know, Seven McGee would have been higher rated if if he didn't have his academic concerns um, with all the high school transferring that that he went through. Um, and and Cardwell was the twelfth best running back in the country, you know, from the composite standpoint, but when you look at some of the running back players that Oregon has signed all time, I mean, we're talking like the number one, they've signed the number one player at the position three different times. They've signed uh, the number one all purpose running back an additional time. They've signed the number two running back in Lake Seastrunk. Um, you know, Sean dollars is the number two all purpose running back in his recruiting class and is the ninth highest rated recruit all time at Oregon. And so at the position. Yeah. So I look at this and think like, yeah, it's, it's been a while since they've gone out and, and dollars was 143rd in the country, regardless of position. I mean, you look at top 100 players at overall in the country that played running back um, that were in the top 100, regardless of position, they have six of those guys. Stewart, Thomas, Tyner, Seastrunk, Freeman, and Taj Griffin. Byron Marshall was 105th overall and the ninth best running back um, in the class of 2012. And that's the position where, yeah, like I need to see, I need to see a little bit more of these high profile recruits. And, and it's going to be hard to get that caliber of a guy in, in 2022, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, we don't need to spend the whole time on running back. I just think it's kind of an interesting position group considering where Oregon's been at offensively the last couple of decades and the success they've had at running back from a recruiting perspective. And then to see it sort of seemingly, quote unquote, drop off while the recruiting has improved at every other position group. Right. I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting kind of almost anomaly in the Mario Cristobal recruiting. And I'm not being critical at all of the running backs they've had because I think they're good. But like if you just want to look at it straight up, objectively, look at the data running back has been a position where they have kind of actually had a decline in recruiting success. Not, not specifically when he took over. So like he walked in the door and all the running back recruits stopped being interested, but they were getting the Thomas Tyners and Taj Griffins and Royce Freeman's right up until the end of the Helfrich era. And then seemingly that's kind of changed a little bit um, going from here on out. So um, back to some of the by position stuff before we wrap up, do you have another position group that, we just talked about running back for a minute and we've talked about offensive line, but do you have another group that you think like, that you think it's really important that they address or from here, do you think they're almost kind of in a best guy available sort of situation? Like where a position group doesn't matter as much. I, I'd like to see them go out and sign another cornerback. Probably yeah. two. I agree um, on that one. Yeah. To, to, to be honest with you, because Mikhail Wright's probably gone after this year, and I could see a scenario play out where DJ James is, is gone after this season as well. And you you look at the roster and just, just say, okay, let's just worst case scenario, both those guys are gone. 
you're left with five cornerbacks on, on your roster as of now. You don't have any cornerback commits in this class. Um, you need to have at minimum six during the season. So if DJ James, if you feel very confident in him, not even testing the waters, then you can go out and maybe sign one. But I, I think realistically, ideally, you sign two guys. Like you, you need to find two corners in this recruiting class because just the numbers shake out where in the next couple of years, you could be, you, you'll see Michael Wright for sure after this year. I think for sure after 2022, DJ James is gone. And there's a possibility that Dante Manning could be gone after 2022. And, and so now you've gone from having five guys going into the 23 season to having four guys in the 23 season, you know, on your roster as of today. So, and that's not accounting transfers. That's not accounting for injuries um, and, and whatnot. So I, I think it's highly imperative for them to sign at least two guys at cornerback um, the rest of the way in this class. Yeah, I know I'm with you. I think you need to you need to address it. I think it's just imperative. You go into every cycle, and maybe some instances it's not quite as important, but most I think you just want to get at least a guy at every every position. Because the way this stuff spreads out and with how frequent transfer turnover sorry, turnover is at this point, you don't want to put yourself in a spot where you think you're you're all set up. And let's say you get through a season and you get to, you know, you get through the spring signing period and yep. you didn't sign a corner, but hey. Mikhail Wright goes pro, uh, two of the guys decide to transfer, et cetera. And you look up and you go, holy cow, we have three scholarship corners on the team and we can only go get guys that are either not signed right now, which are not going to be very highly regarded guys, or they're going to be out of the transfer portal. And maybe the transfer right. portal ends up being kind of the great equalizer with all of this. But I think ultimately you'd much prefer to land a guy at every position, every single cycle. And, and go from there because you just don't know things. I mean, it's no longer quite as guaranteed that a kid sticks around three to five years. A lot of these yeah. guys are only going to be here a year or two now, and it's a lot easier to move from school to school. So the transfer portal has a lot of pros. I think it has some cons too, in terms of just roster building. And um, I, I think it might be a case too, Eric, where port, transfer portal is where you go. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Because with the idea now that players have a free – one-time use transfer and be immediately eligible, you know, there's going to be guys that leave the region to go out of, you know, out of the conference or you finish second for a guy who goes to USC and it doesn't work out at USC, but now he wants to go to Oregon. Um, or maybe he picks Oklahoma and then he says, you know, what? It's, this isn't for me. I think we're, we've seen this in basketball for the men. The women have started to dip into it. Now where I think we're going to start seeing the, the the football program do the same where maybe around spring football time, you always want to have two or three open scholarships because there could be a guy that's a former five-star, former four-star recruit that's that you finished second or you finished third in the recruitment for, and he leaves that original school and says, you know what? It just wasn't for me. It's not working out. I need a fresh start. And you've got the room, you've got the need, and he's got the ability to play right away. I, I think that's going to be also a major factor here is keeping two or three spots open every year for that transfer. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's just so much more to consider now <laughs> when you're doing all this. And um, from a football perspective, it's, I think, probably even a little easier to manage just because you have more bodies to deal with. And if you miss a, a player or two, you're, 
you're typically able to make up for it. Although obviously there are instances where that's not the case. Basketball, you feel even worse for some of these guys because if you lose a certain, you might lose a key player and just simply not be able to replace him with somebody similar to that player. Um, let's let's end here. I, I just I thought we I just wanted to say, Matt. First off, great having you back on the show. It's been weird not talking on podcasts for a week for this <laughs> long time. Um, I thought we'd wrap up here with, with with doing something you hate doing, which is making a prediction. Which is, oh, no. will Oregon? Before you go on vacation again in a week, will will Oregon have a commitment? And then how many commitments am I going to have to repair on my own during the week that you're off <laughs> the following week vacation? Because as those listening might know, Matt's uh, vacation timing seems to be extreme. You, 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 you nail it every time. This time you, you took off and there were three commitments the day you, you left and a five-star two days later. This upcoming time, I just assume there's going to be like nine decommitments and five commitments in 24 hours right when you're leaving. <laughs> I think... I, so I, I'm I'm on work or I'm on the clock this week and I and on the 16th I go back on vacation um, and I'll be back on the 26th as you and I head down to LA for Pac-12 Media Day. Right. I think by the 26th when I report back to work, um, we will. If you told me the one and a half. The over under for verbal commitments in any sport is one and a half. I'd take the over. I would too. I'd probably smash it. Not that not that I'm saying there's like a bunch of imminent things, but based upon the fact that that's two full weeks and Oregon seems to be cooking pretty good right now. Yeah. And and here's a point too, Matt, that I made last week. Let me. See, I'm I'm curious if you agree with this. With the SNL camp being on July 31st, which is you know several days uh, after the Pac-12. Uh, media day that we're going to be down in LA. It's going to be a busy end of the month. Like, do you do you not kind of expect that they get quite a bit of work done from the 31st, which is their camp on Saturday, through like the next week? Because I'm going to guess that they hope to have this class not like finalized, but even more shirt up where there may be at 18 or 19 commitments by the time fall camp starts. Cause that's going to be probably like the second or third of August, somewhere in there, I would imagine based upon previous years, like, but doesn't it seem right that they'll use SNL as a springboard to maybe get a couple commitments at that event and then hopefully land a couple more after. And you head into the month of August with a pretty clear idea of what the class looks like, but for a guy or two, doesn't that seem kind of like the way things are probably going to end up if, if you had to, I don't want to say gamble. Yeah, Neither I, I expect like probably mid-August to, for them to be almost relatively done. Like, Same. Like where they look at it and say, okay, we've got two or three spots left and we've got 10 players that we're still recruiting, whether it's running back, quarterback, whatever, DB, you know, all the positions – and they maybe got 10 guys that they're heavily recruiting for two or three spots. Like, yeah, it seems like in years past, Oregon's always wanted to have it so that basically by the time the season starts, they're devoting most of their attention to the season and the little attention that they are doing. And I, when I say little attention, it's, it's night and day more than, traditionally at Oregon from 2000 to 2017. Sure. Yeah. Night and day. They're totally different, way more attention, but, but they want to focus on the season. 
And then, and basically once the season starts, it's okay. We need to focus all of our attention on the 16 guys, 18 guys, 19 guys, 20 guys that we've got verbally committed. And then we need to focus. We've got room for three more and we've got 10 guys on the board still who can take one of those three spots. And we, and basically we're recruiting 30 guys and we don't want to, we don't want to have to be out there recruiting 60, 70, 80 guys and trying to see this many players during a season, during our bye week and, and communicating to all 60, 70 of these guys in just the 2022 class while we're focusing on 23, while we're focusing on 24 and Oh, by the way, doing the most important work winning games. So I'm with you. I, I think this class is going to be pretty much done um, by the time the, uh, the, the season rolls around. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to our shows while each of us were gone. We're back on vaca- back on the show together once again from both of us being on our vacations. And it's going to be like that probably the rest of the way until um, when the end of the season starts, it hits. And, and probably December, January, whatever that, whenever that is. Um, <laughs> we don't really know. Uh, hopefully it's a long period of time. Um football is basically back. We're excited to start breaking it down. Look for position recaps and, and analysis going into the 2021 season to start hitting the pod uh, here in the next couple of days into the next couple of weeks. So until we talk to you, you've been listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.